This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright 929 espn Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. Glad he is with us. In just a moment, we'll welcome Mark Giannato back to the program after quite the ordeal he has been through. He's live in Fort Worth. Tigers will be taking on UCF tonight, 7 p.m. on ESPNU. Blake Topmeyer is going to join us. Around 2.40, we'll get his thoughts on the inevitable hire of Chris Beard at Ole Miss. Get into a few more football topics with him when he joins us at 2.40. 3 o'clock, we'll get into the list. 3.30, we'll get into our games of the weekend. We'll tell your story, and then we will get out of here. But now let's welcome back to the program the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist, the lead sports columnist of the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. Top three sports columnist in the state of Tennessee, barely. Tied for eighth best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter at MGianato. Mark, good day, sir. Yeah, good to be on the radio again. It's been, uh, been a bit of an adventure the past few days. Uh, but I'm here in Fort Worth getting ready to uh, watch the Tigers begin postseason play against UCF tonight. Uh, Six o'clock tip at Dickey's Arena. Um, so, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Are we back to where we count this as the postseason? Yeah, I think it. Yeah, it's a. It's definitely a different feel when you're at one of these conference tournaments. You know, it's not quite the NCAA tournament, obviously, and especially for you know. I mean, I don't know. Memphis isn't in a do. You know, like Memphis isn't in a situation where, yeah, like if they lost tonight, I still, you know, I still think they're in. Obviously you'd probably be like, well, ugh, this is going to be a long 48 hours just, like, waiting to make sure their name's called, even though, you you know, deep down you know their name's going to be called. Um, yeah, but, I know, mean, I, look, North Carolina's been losing. Wisconsin, like, I, they're in, man. Like, you watch yeah, all these I think, teams. I, I think so, too. I mean, especially because it's not SMU either. By the way, like, Dutch up is the game at be six. a bad loss if they were to lose it, even though I think they're going to win it. But if they were to slip up, if they were to show, you know, if it's one of those situations where – 
you know, UCF got to play yesterday, so they're and it's not like their third game yet, so they're not tired. And they've, you know, whereas this is Memphis's first game, you know, and maybe they come out slow or something like that. Like you could see that scenario playing out. But even if that were to happen and Memphis were to lose to UCF, it's just a quad two loss. Like it's not going to. Like I, I think, I think they're in. Yeah, like they're not. You know, they're in. Their their resume is real. It, it's it, their resume is good enough. Um, but still, there's like an urgency to it, especially for like, you know, for a team like UCF who can maybe talk themselves into thinking, well, we could win four games in four days and win this conference and go to the NCAA tournament and salvage our season. Um, you know, so it's a different energy, I think, even though it's not quite the NCAA tournament energy. But I think I, think I, I consider it, you know, I think it's the I just feel like it's, I don't know, I, I feel like the tournament and the NIT, like it's this weird in-between. It's clearly not the regular season. Although, I mean, at a certain point, like, these games do count for your resume. I got. I don't. Know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely outside of regular season play. Well, here's a question. No, hold, 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 hold up. Hold up. Did I screw up? Did I screw up? Is the game at seven or six? Because I'm looking at the website. At, it says it's at seven Eastern time. Okay. Is why you're confused. I it's hate when. Central. If you're going to have the website, you have to specify when you put a time. You have to specify either all times Eastern or all times Central, and they did not yeah. do that. It's it's six o'clock Central time. Uh, is the tip, and it'll be on time because it's the first game of the session, the night session. ESPNU so like for those out there. Tip. All right, sorry. Continue. Yeah, no, but I was gonna say, have you? Did you? I assume when you covered Ole Miss, you covered like the SEC tournament in Nashville a few times. I covered it once. Yeah, um, I just I think there's a different energy when you get all the teams in one building, and even like the crappy teams. You know, it's like their last game potentially, and so they play. There's a different energy to it. And, I mean, uh, I, I definitely think that, I don't know, It's it's got the weird vibe. And part of the problem with the Americans tournament is it's a beautiful arena, but it's massive. Like, you know, it's like 14,000 people. And it, you know. It, well, and it's because it's built for the rodeo. Yeah. It's like a really long, yeah, it's weird dimension. Like, you yeah. know, the lower level is very, uh, like, uh, it's like almost like bowl, a bowl shape, if you will. Like, a, like a, I'm trying to think what the best way to put it is. It's, it's, not like it's super like vertical. A, it's like it's the big super vertical. It's like the big house. Yes, very similar, like you know, kind of that sort of vibe to it. And then there's only two levels. There's like a second level, and that's it. A small second level, and that's it. It's a. I'll say this. Like I've seen some Memphis fans kind of been like, "Why are we doing this every year in Fort Worth?" And, and I'll just say this: If you go to it, it's a very nice venue. Um, it's it's a, like a five hundred million dollar arena. Yeah, like it's real. Like when you go inside, it's like, oh, this is a nice arena. Um, the, the, you know, the problem with it, I guess, is there's nothing really around it. The arena, like you got to drive ten minutes. Well, don't you have the slaughterhouse around it? Yeah, exactly. Like there's really not any bars, and, the, and that is for the, the for those out there. That is not a shotgun Willie's. That is it is literally a slaughterhouse. No, it's literally like literally. There's these like silos, and one says like pork, one says beef. And you know, and one says chicken, like you know, you are literally right next to it. Um, but and you know, but like the, the reality is, especially in the new American, like next year, like I don't think there's going to be a venue you can pick that's going to just draw a crazy amount of fans. And I know some Memphis fans are probably listening, listening. Oh, we'll just have it in Memphis. And I would say two things: one, the last time it was in Memphis, attendance wasn't that great. Now it was only Penny's first year, but Attendance wasn't that great. 
Two, I don't think the league wants to have it at a team's home venue anymore. Um, uh, and three, and this is honestly probably number one, I think they have a good deal with the arena. They have a good deal. Their headquarters and are most in Dallas. Im- and most importantly, they don't want to travel. It's like when they always flirt with moving the SEC baseball tournament. In reality, they want it in Birmingham because that's where the league offices are. It's where everybody's running, and then they're going to Destin anyway. Like, And it's like Fort Worth. It's an, an airport that everyone can get to. You know, it's big airports. You know, it's, um, you know, it is driving distance for quite a few of the fan bases, you know, including Memphis. Um, now, I will say this, though. Like, in the future, in my mind, if Memphis and Wichita State aren't, like, playing, if they're not good, like, attendance is going to stink at all American conference tournaments moving you, forward. You don't, think, you don't think North Texas is going to bring a crowd? I just don't think so. I think it's going to be very similar to SMU. They have it in Fort Worth, and it's not like there's a huge contingent of SMU fans that I've ever seen at these. Uh, yeah, but I think SMU is like on spring break. Like I always love when that excuse gets out because yesterday <laughs> I was hearing. You know, normally you would think with Wake Forest playing in Greensboro, you would think that they'd have a good crowd here, but it is spring break. I was like, uh, <laughs> Have you seen Wake games like me? Uh, they yeah. don't care. <laughs> so. Um, I would say, you know, like I said, it, it's fine. Fort Worth is fine. It's not. I don't think it's perfect. I also don't think it's bad either. That's how I would phrase Listen, it. And the venue is very nice. I love it to death, but it's better than the CUSA tournament. They're going on right now at Frisco at the Star, and they got the curtain pulled. They got the A and B floor going. Oh, my. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Gross. Oh, yeah. Um, Mark, you can, get two games, you can get two games simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> It's like AAU. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like an AAU tournament. Nothing better than when nothing better when a game stops from another whistle. <laughs> oh my! Well, we've got a lot to talk about, Jeffrey. It's a big weekend, obviously. Like by the time we get back, you know, we do it every Friday. What are we going to be talking about when we come back? Well, we we got a big weekend. I mean, you know, by the time we get back on Monday, we'll know. One, hopefully, obviously, Memphis being in the tournament, but where they're going, what their bracket looks like, all that. We'll know if they won the, you know, an AAC title. Um, we'll see if the Grizzlies, you know, it looks like they're going to catch a break here tomorrow. Luka's not going to play um, when they face the Mavericks tomorrow night. Um, and Kyrie did not practice today. So there's a decent chance, you know, there's certain, they're definitely going to get a depleted version of the Mavericks tomorrow night, um, but potentially could get a really depleted version of the Mavericks tomorrow night. Um, so that's interesting as well. I mean, last night's game was obviously like, you know, I was, I was in Tampa or Clearwater last night, watching it on TNT. And I don't know, it was like the, I would, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. It was like one of the more enjoyable viewing Grizzlies viewing experiences that we've had in, in like, the last couple months. Would you not agree? Yeah, I think, though, that might be circumstantial. I, yeah. I, think, I think a big part of it was, A, beating the Warriors and beating them handedly is always just going to be an enjoyable and satisfying experience. But I think given the chaotic nature of the week, and then you also consider yesterday started with a gut punch. You got the Steven Adams news basically mm-hmm. right before we went to air uh, on Jeff's show at nine, and it just like it was just a gut punch, and then you're reminded, all right, yeah, this this team has had 
massive road woes. Like they're one of the worst teams in the league on the road. But you know who else might be a little bit worse on the road? The Warriors. <laughs> and the Grizzlies are one of the best teams in in the league at home and it just felt like it was kind of cathartic in a certain way. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, the way I have a column up at commercialpill.com that I wrote off last night's game um, remotely and was kind of like my impression watching it on TV was like, I, you know, it did not cure all their ills, you know, like, you know, all that ailed them. Although I think we saw some interesting things in that one, Taylor Jenkins going to an eight-man rotation in the second half, basically saying, you know what, Zaire Williams and David Roddy stunk in the first half. Like that's when – Golden State made their run. I'm not playing them anymore. Yeah. Um, and we saw them, you know, have a backbone in the fourth quarter. You know, Golden State closes it within six, five, and, you know, they pull away ultimately. They really dominated them in the fourth quarter. Um, but still, like, ultimately, this is a flawed team that is now dealing with, you know, pretty significant personnel losses when you consider your starting center is probably not going to play the rest of the regular season and has already missed six weeks. Your best big off the bench, arguably your best bench player, is out for the rest of the season. I mean, you're missing two of your three best bigs. And your star player is out for an indeterminate amount of time. Like, we don't know when he's coming back exactly. Um, And... Um, so they're obviously flawed, and I don't like. I don't know if winning last night says okay, this team's going to be able. To, this team's still able to go on a run in the postseason. This team's still capable of maybe winning the Western Conference since it's so wide open. I don't think you can jump to that conclusion based off one game. I, I did think though it was a reminder that, and this is what I wrote in my column. Like this team's going to go down swinging, so to speak. Like I don't think this team is just going to limp to the finish line, which is the feeling you were st- that was starting to sink in a little bit during, during all this turmoil over the past week. It's like, oh, my God, like, is this thing just going to completely fall off the rails here? And I think last night showed you that the backbone of this team and sort of like, yes, it's maybe not going to go as, we, as planned back in November, December. There, there, there's some real limitations on them now given the personnel issues. But at the same time, there's still a lot of a lot there. To they're going to be feisty. They're going to fight. They're not going to go down quietly. And I think kind of Dylan Brooks kind of epitomized that last night. I really, I, you know, he really. I mean, that was the most encouraging Dylan Brooks performance. I know the shooting percentages weren't perfect, but it felt like it was like the most encouraging Dylan Brooks performance in a long time. Like he he really responded well. I thought to the whole Draymond thing. Yeah, I, I think it had to be one of his most satisfying performances of his career, despite the fact that, yeah, you know, what he, he finishes, I think, 5 for 16 maybe, or like 6 of 15, 1 of 7 yeah. from 3. Big 3 late. But, yeah, he's 1 know. for 1 on his last threes, so he's trending. <laughs> but more important, I mean, he had three or four of the biggest plays of the game, you could argue. And, I mean, the- and given the fact that, given the fact that you had Draymond with the – the viral clip, calling him out. I just have to imagine that that was about as satisfying of a performance that he could oh, possibly you could have. Post game, but whether it was the TNT interview right after the game or when he was holding court in the locker room, oh, you could tell that was satisfying for him. For him, and he earned it. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. And and, and I think and by the way, self- don't are you are you with me? Uh, I think I still have. I think there's still six hours left. If you want to write in, I am giving. I I gave a blanket, twenty four hour reprieve for everyone that cheered Draymond when he called out Dylan Brooks. It's twenty four hours, and then after that, I'm taking names. But I mean, because well, I, I was going to say this, it felt like maybe it was a particularly satisfying uh, game for you as well as like. Oh yes. Elite- you know, like watching Draymond get this stuff thrown back in his face, so to speak. I mean, Dylan was still very Dylan, six of fifteen, one of seven from three, yeah. but did have six assists. Um, he know, was clearly and, and, impactful on the game. Like you just the defensive end, like yeah, no, and he like I said the 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 three pointer at the end of the game was a big shot. Kind of really felt like it sealed the deal almost. The the play at the end of the sec, second quarter where he steals the lazy inbounds pass and scores right yeah. over Draymond. And then they have that, if we're being honest, everyone was like talking about how like intense it was and competitive. And you had Kevin Harlan, they're talking about the podcast, which was a great call, great line. Harlan, um, Harlan was as bad as Miller is. That's how great Harlan is. <laughs> but um, it was very awkward, the whole like, Draymond's hand in his face, in his nose, or whatever that like you know, that was so weird. Like when you really look at the picture and watch the slow mo video of it, what a weird exchange by the two of them. Elias sent me. Elias sent me. There's there's a side by side of that picture with the kiss of Judas. I'm gonna retweet it. It's oh, yeah, laugh out loud funny. Yeah, Barnes and the Corso Peel was the first one who I saw tweeted that out. There's some yeah. There's some yeah. There's some like famous artwork that kind of looks like yes. the close up of Draymond and and Dylan. No, I actually think it was brilliant by Dylan because while yes, it's awkward, it's aggressive awkwardness where like it puts mm-hmm. Draymond in a bad spot. And any time that that mf'er gets to squirm, I'm so happy. He <laughs> sucks. God, he sucks. Dylan says he's a better player than him. I don't know about that. I don't know if I'd go there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, it's as people were saying on Twitter. I saw someone say, "Uh oh, we've got ourselves a mid off." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's no. I mean, that was the joke that I made. It's like here's the war you didn't ask for. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and you know, like I don't think last night changes that. You know, I, I think I feel deep down that we are watching Dylan Brooks's last games in Memphis. Like I don't. I, if you ask me today. Like, I don't think he's going to come. I don't think he's going to be back next year. But that doesn't mean he can't, you know, like, if he can have the, you know, the impact he had last night, I don't think it's unrealistic to think, okay, he can have that kind of impact more consistently moving forward. And it, and it showed last night it can be very helpful to the Grizzlies when he's impactful like that. Yeah. I, I don't feel confidently one way or the other. I agree with you. I would lean towards this is probably going to be Dylan's last years. But at the same time, like, what if they can't make another deal? Like, in the end, he might be the best available signing they could have yet again. Yeah, I, I still think everything, especially if, like, if the, if the playoffs don't go as, you know, if they don't make a run in the playoffs, I, I think they're going to have to shake some things up. Oh, and no, that's, I... I I That's sa- the most direct way to shake things up. I said it yesterday that I do believe this is the most important offseason for Zach Kleiman in his career. Yeah, so far, for sure. Yeah. 
Um, I think that's right. Well, and then the other interesting thing I thought from that game was when we heard about when, when Dylan and Desmond Bain spoke about John Morant reaching out, you know, John Morant was texting him and I guess he FaceTimed Jaron Jackson Jr. maybe um, and kind of the communication Ja was having. And there were a couple interesting things I thought from that. None more so than I, I thought this was interesting. I, I it kind of, I don't know if it went unnoticed or, Maybe some people noticed it. I, I took particular note of Dylan Brooks saying that Ja Morant was, quote, working out and stuff, um, which suggested to me that any all these rumors of, like, Ja being sent off somewhere or, like, rehab or anything like that that you've seen on social media, like, if he's working out, like, he's basically staying ready, that suggests to me that this is – you know, this isn't like, you know, it's not like he got sent to Utah or something to go get clean or whatever. Like, this is more like, you know, just taking stock of his life. Now, maybe that's just me speculating, too. But I just, I took note of Dylan saying, among other things, when talking about Ja, that he's like working out and stuff. Like, he's staying ready almost in my mind. Yeah, I didn't make too much of it one way or the other because I just assumed if he, if he, did go somewhere that it would have a place like he'd have a place that you can go work out like you yeah. I don't you know what I mean I just didn't say I didn't take it one way or the other your your interpretation to me is like I can buy that I just either way I didn't really feel anything I started thinking about this though so I don't know I don't, I think maybe we've talked about it a little bit but it's not really ever been a, a big topic but Ja got very bothered by the record that the Grizzlies had last year without him. Like, you could mm-hmm. tell, like, when people would bring it up, like, it, it bothered him. Yeah. And, like, we talked about last year, like, it, it was somewhat of a statistical anomaly. Like, it, no, it was. Remember that we had the whole Oklahoma City thing yeah. where, like, they beat Oklahoma City by the record number of points without him. Yeah. And then, remember, he came back, they played Oklahoma yeah, City. Yeah, and they, they lost. lost. And, yeah, he and had that. When he got, yeah, he got mad at the people courtside or something. Well, he, allegedly. Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, I'm. I was wondering this though. That's a different set of circumstances. That was injury, and that's kind of mm-hmm. out of his hands. Like, what do you think he's going through? Like, when you have the night, like they they do last night. Like, I know you're obviously like rooting for your guys, but I, I'm wondering if it if it still like irritates him that. You know, in the end, he's not on the floor because of his own choices. And maybe that's yeah. – maybe in the yeah. end, that's the best deterrent. But, like, I, I was kind of, like, just thinking, like, what's going through his head right now? Yeah, well, and I thought it was also interesting. I mean, before the game, it felt like Taylor Jenkins kind of gave the most – it wasn't a harsh critique of Ja, but, like, it felt like his answer before the game – yesterday where he kind of basically said like, Hey, we try, we've been, we said stuff to him and tried to head this off at the pass before all this stuff happened a week ago. And like this all just, you know, ultimately like we had left, we were left no choice. We had assumed some of that, but he had not said something like that yet. Um, and it was almost like the first time. I think it's the first time because Harrington and I were like talking about this. really truly admonished Ja publicly. It was the way. first time that also he had publicly admitted that there had been essentially, you know, conversations, issues, whatnot. Like he, it was, 
it was the first time that he had publicly admitted that essentially, hey, we were playing with fire. Yeah. No, and then he said, you know, there's certain, you know, it's not, it's, there's certain things that Ja has to do, both from a, per, there's, there's, it's the first time he kind of, he didn't give any specifics, but, you know, in generality, he said, like, there's benchmarks he's going to have to meet before we're going to allow him back on the court. Now, you know, what exactly that is, you know, I don't think we'll, you know, unless, I don't think unless Ja's going to volunteer that, we're going to find out necessarily. I, I agree with you. The specifics of that. But, um, you know, he said that's what, you know, it, it made, you know, it, it helped clarify the at least four more games thing. Um, you know, and then the other interesting thing, I, I don't, you know, watching the broadcast, I thought it was really interesting what Jared Greenberg, the sideline reporter, said uh, at the beginning of the game where he said basically the NBA's disciplinary process, one, it's going to be solely up to Adam Silver whether John Morant is suspended in any way. Okay, let's let's talk about that. I heard it differently. And again, I didn't go back. I think you you went back to kind of like transcribe it or whatever. I the way that I heard it, and so you clarify with me was it potentially could be up to Adam Silver to make a unilateral decision. I did not hear that for sure. like I the way that I heard it was that was one of the options, not the option. No, so I heard it when like it was. It's up to Adam Silver ultimately because it's going to like the, the thing is is that it, if Ja gets punished by the NBA, unless they unless they unless they specifically um, figure out that he brought that gun on like a team right. bus or a team plane or whatever, the punishment would fall under just the conduct detrimental to the league sort of section of the rule book. And apparently that is Adam Silver's purview. Like when you, and the thing that's potential, the thing that he, you know, he, that, that Jared Greenberg reported that's potential that could happen is how he put it. Not will happen, but could happen is that if he is punished, the punishment could be retroactive so that, you know, for instance, if he misses six games via sitting he out. He gets a six-game, yeah. If they announce that he gets a six-game, yes. game suspension, it's not eight additional games. No, it's time served. He, yeah, he'll, it'll be just two more games they'll have to sit out. Essentially, they would be announcing it. The length of games would be announced for fining purposes. Like, he would yes. miss, he'd lose eight game checks in your example. Yes. So, I thought that was pretty interesting, too, um, at the beginning of the game, because... Jared Greenberg is, you know, like ultimately TNT is like tied in with the NBA more so than even ESPN um, because like they help like Turner, I believe Turner helps like run all the NBA sites and all that. And NBA TV, like that's their, yeah. Yeah. And so um, when he's saying he's hearing from league sources, I kind of take that, you know, I I don't think it's just your normal run of the mill report here. Um, So I thought that was pretty interesting too. Yeah, um, I don't know. I guess I kind of thought that's where it was headed. So Harrington and I also talked about this. Apparently the other reason why you're not allowed to get suspended by both the team and mm-hmm. the league. You, you so, like, so that may be why officially the Grizzlies haven't suspended him. He's just left the team or whatnot. Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of in the the mode now like I thought the Grizzlies should make I thought the Grizzlies should make the league suspend him 
I'm kind of fine either way now because it does seem like I was worried at first that Jaws only the only thing he thought he did wrong was go live. It seems now obvious to me he knows that there were other issues beyond like he's not as defensive. And so because of that, like I'm fine with however it it goes down because there is also like you point out, there's a team accountability part of this. Yeah. No, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, you know, obviously he's not going to be back the next four games, and you know, I, I want to. I'm curious to see how the Grizzlies hold up from here while he's out. You know, can they? You know, they're catching it. Like I said earlier, they're catching a break probably tomorrow night against Dallas. Maybe you know we'll see if Luca's back Monday. Um, but if you can split these two Dallas games, right? When you you know, like you take that and then. Um, I, I mean, I think there's the, a, I think there's a legitimate chance Luca doesn't play even Monday. In both, yeah. yeah. Well, the they, basically it's like the X-rays for well, his. I think it's like a it thigh was, or something. It was an MRI on his thigh. The MRI came back clean, but it, it wasn't like okay it's like a pain tolerance yeah. thing at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe you can pick off both if if Luca and, and Kyrie are nicked up. Um, and then what's the game before the Miami game? There's there's one more. Oh no, maybe it is. No, then they play at Miami. Um, and then at San Antonio, and then I believe it's Golden State again uh, next Saturday uh, at FedEx Forum. So um, it'll be, uh, you know, they've obviously had trouble. They, have, they haven't had a they haven't had like a successful road trip that's more than like a one off. Like you know, they went and won at Toronto once and won at yeah, Indiana like the, once. I think there was wasn't there like anytime a... they've gone away for more than like two or three games. They have not done well, and they've got another three-game one coming up after this Dallas game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, in the end, they only have 12 road wins, period. Yeah, um, so it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting what we're saying on Monday. Uh, if, they can, if they can win two in a row, you know, against Golden State and then Dallas, I think you're going to feel a lot better than you did yesterday morning about, okay, you know, maybe they're not the second seed, but, you know, now Durant's out for two or three weeks uh, with Phoenix. Now you've beaten Golden State and Dallas, hopefully two of the teams that could potentially catch, catch you maybe. Um, you feel a lot better that, hey, like they're going to be like the third seed or something like that, or maybe, you know, maybe even the two seed if they can, if they can you know, if, if Sacramento falters. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. Like in the end – what it seemed like to me was it was a reminder, even with even shorthanded with the injuries and with Ja being gone, Jaron Jaron is still a really good player. Tyus is a very capable backup. And Des is a good player. And you can kind of fill in the rest. Like Tillman, I feel like, is punching above his weight right now. I, I think yeah. that that deserves Connor to be noted. Carr has played nice, played yeah. well last night. I don't know if he can do it consistently, but... No, and then, like I said, I thought it was encouraging that Jenkins, you know, like, ultimately, like, it's great to play a 10-man rotation and save guys for the playoffs. But, like, when you don't have 10 good players, you shouldn't play a 10-man rotation. C- completely and, agree. And we saw, and, like, and we, you know, the way that he did it, he gave the guys a shot, you mm-hmm. know, and then in the second half, he's like, I can't go back to that. Yeah, and maybe that's what he does from here on out. Uh, or at least until they get healthier. That was uh, similar. So that was another thing Harrington and I were talking about. That To me, that was similar to his approach in the playoffs two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like he would kind of play everybody in the first half, 
and then he would tighten it in the second half based on like how everyone was playing. Whereas mm-hmm. last year, if I recall in the playoffs, for the most part, he just kind of he like stuck with his guys. Yeah, I think at some points he went to nine. You yeah. know, he never went to eight. I don't think. Um, you know, he was always playing Tyus, Brandon, Zaire, and like Melton or Conchar or whatever. Like he was always yeah. playing those guys. Um, oh, and Kyle too. Um, forgetting about him. So, but they had, in fairness, they had more healthy options last year. <laughs> yes, they did. All right, let's talk. Let's talk Tigers real quick. Are we going to be talking about them being an AAC tournament champion um, and a seven seed coming out of the weekend? What do you think? My gut says they get to the final again. And my gut says we're just going to be in a similar situation to last year. They get to the final and they're an eight or nine seed. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. But, you know, I I don't know. They could, you know, I do think there is something, you know, if they can get through UCF tonight, it really is like, hopefully, well, I mean, we'll see what Tulane does in the late game against Wichita, but um, because I think Wichita has got a chance to knock Tulane off, but, you know, it would be nice for them. I, I would like to see them play, you know, beat UCF, then get Tulane in the semis and get a chance to avenge those two losses and then get Houston in the final and get a chance to avenge those two losses. That would, I mean, if you could, if you could go win the AAC tournament that way, it, it would be really satisfying, I think. Oh, I mean, you would basically, to your point, like you'd, you would have gotten – Every kind of speed bump that you feel like happened this year, you would have not necessarily righted the wrong, but I mean, I also think it would be, I think it would be significant to Penny to win some type of title, league title, while Houston's still there. Oh, and I, you know, and I think he put it well this week when I asked him about it, because I just remember last year on Selection Sunday after they lost to Houston, and like they're ending this long drought of NCAA tournament, you know, the NCAA tournament drought. And, like, Penny was not really that happy in the moment because he was so kind of, uh, you know, bothered yeah. that they had lost to Houston. And the players, you know, took their cues from him. And there was no real rejoicing that they had finally made the NCAA tournament because they really badly wanted to beat Houston that day. And I think Penny put it well when he said, like, this is part of the growth of a program. It's going and winning a championship. I think he's dead on with that. Like it would be a, you know, another sign of progress for this program if you could go out and win a conference title of some kind. Because frankly, he's never done it yet. He hasn't done it yet in five years. And and to your point, you know, it'll mean more this year than it would next year. Um, yeah, like next year, right now. next year it would feel more like okay, you did what you were supposed to do. This year feels like a, a true achievement if you were to do it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, and so we'll see. It'll be a. You know, this UCF matchup will be interesting. Um, obviously, they have Taylor Hendricks, who's a, you know, now being mocked like top 15 pick. You know, before it was like he's a first-round pick. Now, if you look at the latest mocks, he's like a top 15 pick um, because of how he's played this year. Um, you know, they had trouble with SMU yesterday, though. They had to, ha- they had, to have a nice comeback to – to beat them, um, obviously the first they, thing... They seem... I don't know, man. I, I, I could eat my words on Monday, and I'll be happy to eat crow. That team, to me, when I watched them play, they look checked out. Like, if you look at... I think if you look at, like, their last, like, oh, they've six so, games... Really, like they beat Memphis in double yeah. overtime, they haven't been the same team. Well, like, But, like, um, even, like, you know, the last, like, three or four weeks, like, basically they beat 
ECU and and Tulsa. But like other than that, like they just I don't know. And and yesterday it's like they had to fight like hell to come back and beat SMU. I, I just yeah. think I think Memphis was on the way to beating them handedly and convincingly until well, Kendrick got were, hurt. Yeah, no, yeah. The game at FedEx Forum, they were going to win by double digits yeah. if Kendrick doesn't get hurt. And the game in Orlando, they kind of gave it away. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, like, no, they did. The, the last five minutes. They kind of gave it away. I think that last five minutes was, was some of the worst basketball they played this year. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, and I think, you know, I think when you have two guys like Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams, like, in a tournament setting, like if you let's say they come out slow, like those are the type, those are the type of players who can get you going because they can just go get buckets, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's why you know I think I think this team because they have two go-to guys, you know, I guess it can be a disadvantage because you can key in on them, and if you can stop those two, you know, there's you know they don't have a ton of options beyond them. But I kind of look at it the other way. Like, they have two guys who are going to be really hard to stop. And I think from a tournament perspective, whether it's conference tournament or NCAA tournament, I think this team has a better shot, potentially, of making noise than last year's team because they have true go-to guys, as opposed to last year where it felt like they were more talented overall, probably. Um, and obviously had some high-end t- talent in Jalen Duran. Um, but uh, there was not a true go-to guy on that team. Yeah, that's fair. All right, we'll talk more about that during hour number two. Probably definitely get into our games of the weekend. We'll let you go. I know you got a shower, but you'll be back in the second hour. You ready, buddy? All right, sounds good. That is Mark Giannato. When we come back, Blake Topmeyer joins us. He's written about the potential hiring of Chris Beard at Ole Miss. We'll also get his thoughts on some scheduling, quips, and more. He joins us next right here on Giannotto and Jeffrey, 92.9 FM. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Blake Topmeyer joins us each and every Friday. USA Today columnist covering SEC sports for USA Today. And uh, you can always read, find his work here in the Commercial Appeal. His podcast is SEC Football Unfiltered, available each and every week. I guess, Blake, let's start here. I believe it to be imminent that Ole Miss is hiring Chris Beard. You've written about it this week. What say you? Hmm. Well, based on on on-court success, I think this is uh, probably about as good as as Ole Miss can do it. I mean, I don't don't think there's any guarantees with with Ole Miss basketball. And I've written about that. I mean, it's, it's obviously one of the tougher jobs in an SEC 
that uh, I think continues to go grow deeper by the year. I don't know that the SEC is getting stronger at the top, but certainly over the last five or six years, it's become a deeper conference, and, and Texas coming into the conference is, is only going to make it better in hoops. But, you know, I mean, Chris Beard's won everywhere he's been, and so I think of anyone that Ole Miss could get, uh, he probably gives them the best chance of, of success, and, and there's an obvious reason why Ole Miss could get him, right? I mean, this would be uh, really a warp speed scrubbing of image, even by the standards of, of college sports. I mean, it was just in, in December that Chris Beard was was arrested on, on felony domestic violence allegations. Um, you know, I think most of us by now have, have read that police affidavit. Um, you know, some pretty serious stuff was alleged to have happened, um, you know, in, in that situation in his home with Chris Beard's fiance. Uh, fiance said she did not want to pursue charges, never wanted him arrested, said she didn't tell police that Chris Beard strangled her, which is what what police alleged in, in the, the affidavit. And uh, the prosecutor ultimately decided not to pursue charges. And so uh, he became hireable again. I mean, it, it really is, um, you know, I think it, it speaks to college sports, and, and I wrote about this, that a coach's win-loss record means a lot more than his arrest record when it comes to hiring. And Chris Beard's a guy who, who has a Final Four on his resume. Uh, if he didn't, you know, we wouldn't be talking about a guy. Uh, whether, whether the charge was dropped or not, we wouldn't be talking about a guy, um, you know, who was dismissed under these allegations just two months ago being, being hired to a Power 5 school. Yeah, I, I think the way that I have – the way that I've come down on it is I do understand it. I'm not sure that I would have had the, for lack of a better term, the stones to do it. Like in the end, Keith Carter not only played basketball at Ole Miss, but he is one of like the symbols of a quote unquote golden age of Ole Miss basketball. And that is a very low floor, but I believe basketball matters to him very deeply. And when you just started to see, I mean, they had games where there's 11, 1,200 people. I think it's safe to say the program has not been lower. And I get it. This is a way to inject life in because he's won everywhere. But good God, you have to live in fear every day, right? Yeah, and, and I, you know, and, and we might be preaching to the same choir here because I, I would argue that there's more than one way to do it because what you're describing the scene there at, at Ole Miss. Uh, I think back a year ago and think to the, the cavernous uh, Mizzou arena yeah. where you could, you know, I mean, you, you could have you could have thrown uh, something into the stands, a large object into the stands and not hit anybody. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, that place was, uh, was and, a more. And those two arenas and, are modeled after each other. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and just think of how empty Mizzou arena was last year. Um, you know, a program that has, I would say, a little bit better history of, of hoops than, than oh, Ole Miss. Sure. But, you know, but but Missouri's never been to a to a Final Four, uh, and then they hire from the mid major ranks and hire Dennis Gates, and here Missouri is you know seated fourth in the SEC tournament, still alive as we talk here today, and Mizzou Arena in a year's time came alive again, and and as I mentioned in my column, I mean the best the best SEC men's basketball hire of the last thirty years was when Jeremy Foley hired the thirty year old coach from Marshall, had two years of coaching experience at Marshall, was a Rick Pitino disciple. Of course, that was Billy Donovan, 
and and completely completely changed a Florida program that had had one good season under Lon Kruger, but really had no pedigree uh, for college basketball. And and Billy Donovan changed all that. So, you know, Chris Beard is the most you know purely based on win loss resume. He's the best candidate out there. However, we've seen other SEC athletics directors be able to make really shrewd hires um, that have elevated their program without having to dip into the ranks of, of hiring someone who was dismissed two months ago and his, his previous employer you know, labeled his behavior, quote, unacceptable and that he was, quote, unfit to be its college basketball coach. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think Ole Miss could have gone in a different direction here and still, you know, with the right hire, with the right hire, uh, jump-started its program. On the icky scale, how high does this hiring rank for you? Pretty high. Um, you know, I, and it depends on how you look at it. And, and, of course, I'm sure you're not surprised at all that my email has inbox has filled up with the, with the whatabouts. You know, what about this guy? What about this guy? What about that guy? Um, and Brand, Brandon depends, Miller didn't miss a game. Yeah, I guess it depends on how much you equate, you know, say Bruce Pearl having a barbecue for recruits and then lying to NCAA investigators about it and then getting, what was it, I believe a three-year show cause? I mean, it, it for, literally cost him. It cost him the, his job. Like, you know what I mean? Like it cost it's, him his job, and, yeah. and not only that, it cost him three years in the penalty box. Yeah. It wasn't like he was hired two months later. Um, you know, for, for having a barbecue and then lying to the NCAA about it, um, you know, that's not real-world type stuff, right? That, that's stuff that gets you in trouble with the NCAA. Yes. Um, but in what other walk of life would you have, you know, get in trouble uh, for having a barbecue? And it, <laughs> so it depends on how you look at these, these things. Now, you know, it's important to say that Chris Beard was never found guilty of, of this crime. His, his fiance, um, you know, said not long after he was arrested that, that she did not wish to pursue charges. Um, and, and the DA said that there was not enough evidence to get a conviction. And so he, he dropped the case and, and didn't pursue it. Now, I would say anyone with a rudimentary knowledge of the criminal justice system knows that without a, a cooperating um, accuser in a domestic violence case, you're, you don't, you're not going to get a conviction. You're not going to pursue prosecution. If, if, if the woman in this case says, I don't want to pursue prosecution, you're going to drop the charge, and, and that's that. Um, so, but Chris Beard was never found guilty of a crime. To me, though, you know, as we compare the allegations in this case, what he's accused of, of doing, even though it did not come to trial and the charge was dropped, I think that outweighs some of these other instances of, well, you know, so-and-so broke NCAA rules. Not to mention that, but some of these other past instances of wrong behavior or NCAA rule-breaking cost guys time in the penalty box. You know, I mean, I brought yeah. up Bruce Pearl. For, for, for his case, that cost him three years out of coaching. Chris Beard, if he gets this job, will have been out of coaching for two months. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wrestle with it back and forth because on the one hand – you know, he didn't get charged. You you want to know my favorite what about ism that I've seen during this time? Uh, there were people that brought up. Well, Johnny Depp was accused by Amber Heard, and if you watch that trial, he didn't do it. To which I was like, y- you realize Johnny Depp was never arrested. 
for domestic violence. It was a accusation made by Amber Heard. Like that was a good one. When I when I saw someone equating Johnny Depp and Chris Beard, I, that was when I was realized like, all right, this is the big time. Yeah, we we can get into some strange places in, in the whataboutism um, in, in these situations. And I think what it comes down to is no fan base would want um, their school to hire a head coach uh, with, with these allegations out there, even with the charge drop, they would not want to hire their school to hire um, a, a coach with, with these, this, this type of conduct having been alleged in a police affidavit if he hadn't won 70% of his games over the course of his career, if he hadn't coached a team to a national championship, uh, if he hadn't been a winner everywhere he'd been. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the excuser in all of this, right? No, I mean, that's it is, why... I will say this, it is literally, like, I think Andy Kennedy is the most successful coach at Ole Miss, but this is the best coach they've ever hired. Yeah, that, that was, I mean, certainly, and, and uh, I mean, really over the past, what, 10, 15 years, uh, Chris Beard's resume is just, it's really strong. And um, I, I would say Ole Miss is a, a little bit of a tougher job than Texas Tech. Um, in part, because, I mean, there, there's more basketball talent that comes out of the state of Texas. Um, now, Texas Tech is, is not the flagship school in its own state, but per capita, there, there's a lot of basketball talent. I know it's a football state, but there's a lot of basketball talent. There's just a lot of people. Texas. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do think this would be a, a, a little bit of a tougher job than than Texas Tech, but Texas Tech is still a tough job. That, and I want to bury the point there. Like he, he's won at places where it is harder than average to win at. So it's, it's not just that you know he's been a successful coach, uh, you know, doing it at A-list programs. This guy took Texas Tech to a national championship. We we know he's a good coach. We he know won thirty games at Little Rock. Yeah, and, and won an NCAA tournament game. Yeah, correct? I mean, and like, look at Little yeah. Rock before he got there. Look at Little Rock after. Like, I, I understand it. Like, I, I actually think like there's a case to be made that it's the worst basketball job in the league. I think it's them or South Carolina because Mississippi State cares about basketball more than Ole Miss does from a player acquisition front. Yeah, I, I had someone who took exception to me saying that this would be the toughest job Chris Beard's ever had, and. and Point out, well, you know, Texas, Texas Tech's a tough job, and that's in a, more of a basketball league. No, I th- this is this would be the toughest job he's ever had if he, if, if he is hired to Ole Miss. Uh, but he's won at tough jobs, and he's he's won at multiple jobs. I mean, I, I always put a lot of stock in the track record of, of success for coaches who've done it multiple places. Uh, I, I think that you know that gives you more belief that they can they can give you a shot you know whatever school you are whatever conference you're in if you've seen this person win multiple places from from a coaching standpoint this would be this would be an obvious move i mean i i can talk all day about you know some of these other schools that have hit it big struck it big by hiring at the mid mid major ranks but you know from a pure coaching perspective if you didn't have this other stuff it would be a no-brainer to hire Chris Beard. But you do have the other stuff, right? No, that's the only reason Um, you get to – I mean, that's kind of – to me, like, what's interesting now is Ole Miss is now becoming the school that will go – like, they'll pursue the super hot divorcee with a kid. You know what I mean? Like, she's got a little baggage, so, like, they're willing to do it. But you can make the argument that Ole Miss with Kiffin and with Beard – and certainly if you include baseball with Bianco, 
there's an argument to be made. They have the three best coaches, like the collective three best in the country. Yeah, and I, I do want to unpack, though, some of this idea that, you know, Ole Miss will, will take these, take any and all castoffs. I think it's, I think it's, and I wrote about this, I, I think it's unfair to equate, and I'm not saying you were doing this, but I, yeah, I think no, it's I'm unfair to equate. I think it's unfair to equate Ole Miss hiring Lane Kiffin, who who was a renegade, uh, who had colored outside the lines, you know, certainly in in the NCAA's eyes, um, you know, past past stops. Uh, but to equate that with hiring Chris Beard, I mean, you know, as I wrote, show show me the police affidavit right. um, that accused Lane Kiffin of, of violent assault against a woman, because that's what Chris Beard was accused of by police. Prosecutor dropped the charge. Um, and, and of course he was in the case, never went to trial, but that was the accusations. Lane Kiffin's never been accused of that, a police affidavit. And I know there are a lot of people out there making that comparison of, of, well, they hired Lane Kiffin who who didn't have the squeakiest clean image. So of course they'd hire Chris Beard. To me, I'm a little uncomfortable with some of those comparisons. I don't think it's fair to Lane, frankly. Um, but there, there are some who would try to make it to your other point in terms of like the, the big three. I guess you would call those coaching positions. Um, yeah, and in terms of their coaching resumes, I think it would be a pretty a pretty good lineup for Ole Miss, and and certainly you know Keith Carter's hire of Lane Kiffin has has paid off, um, and and that was a hire I think. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.